0: Everyone. I'm Rena Kinsing, EVP of People and Culture at Advertising Week and Emerald. And on this episode of the Great Minds People and Culture podcast, we're having a chat with Advertising Week's Ruth Mortimer. Ruth is the global president of Advertising Week. She's in charge with developing the brand's thought leadership agenda, global education business and working with the global business directors to develop each region. Ruth is also a member of WACL, Women in Advertising and Communications Leadership, which is an organization of over 300 senior women from advertising, communications and media on a mission to accelerate gender equality in the advertising industry. Welcome, Ruth. Hi there, Ren. I swear I'm not biased when I say I'm a huge fan of AW and even a bigger fan of you. So thank you so much for making the time today. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: Uh, I know you are incredibly busy preparing for Advertising Week New York, which is taking place October 16th through 19th. So my first question, if we can just jump right in, is one month out from the event, I would love to have you walk us through a typical day in the life of an executive, Ruth Mortimer, from the moment you wake up to when you go to bed.
1: Wow, well, I think that's a pretty tall order because I think one of the things I love most about Advertising Week and my particular job is that every day is really, really different. There aren't any that are the same, which is really good for me because I have a very, very low boredom threshold. So um, I always need new things to keep me busy. But essentially, I wake up every day and I have two kids So I'm always trying to get them up. It's a scramble. I never have this done really well. And at the same time, I'm quite often doing some early calls, particularly with our APAC or Asia region, because we're a global business. We have lots of people awake in lots of time zones. Then I'll go into kind of the business day, which might be meetings in person. I'm based most of the time in London, so I might have in-person meetings, zoom meetings, doing emails, lots of different tasks. And then effectively, I'll end up quite often working the New York day, sometimes the LA day. So it can be a pretty full on kind of work day at this time of year when we're building up to a big event. But around the edges, I'll try and get in some exercise, do some stuff with my kids, make music, watch TV. I love that.
0: And you know, you mentioned being In a global environment, in the UK, sometimes working LA zones, sometimes working New York zones, you have global events. How do you balance being strategic with functioning in a hybrid environment with all kinds of meetings and doing daily operational tasks, as well as your regular day to day?
1: I think anyone who says it's easy to balance strategic and tactical and kind of operational is probably lying. So I'm not going to lie to you, it's really difficult. I think three of the things I do actually, first of all, I'm an obsessive list writer. So I have an ongoing list almost constantly on my phone. I expect everyone thinks I'm being really rude during meetings and texting, but often I'm making my lists and I tend to split my lists each day into kind of three chunks. So strategic tasks I need to get done, which might be something like input into the vision for Advertising Week Europe. Tactical, which might be something like writer synopsis for a partner roundtable at an event. And then kind of human or people tasks, which might be to follow up on something for one of the team, help somebody with something that's kind of blocking them at work. And I find keeping them in those three chunks means I can kind of get through the day without missing too many things. Aside from that, I really just I schedule real life meetings as much as possible in blocks because I find in this environment, it's very hard to balance Zoom, particularly in multiple regions with real life meetings. And then the last thing I'd say I do is try really hard to get better at delegating to people and empowering them to do things. I think this is one of the hardest things, particularly if you have a way you like to do things yourself. But that's something I'm always trying to get much better at. So people don't need me for everything.
0: That's a really good point. And how are you reminding yourself to delegate so that you're not the one who's doing it all? And in a way, you're actually creating opportunities for your team to grow and do things to accelerate their growth as well.
1: I think you have to be really mindful of it and try to be really intentional about it some of us find we've been successful because we are control freaks and we want to do things a certain way and we want to do it really well and we know how we want it done. And so moving from that to understanding, hey, you can never scale your team. You can never get more things done. You can never focus on what you need to get done without delegating and empowering other people. I think that's something I'm constantly learning and reminding myself.
0: I love that. You and your team are responsible for a very large event and you stage multiple times over the years. Can you let us know how many shows there are, what the locations are, and how big is your team that handles all of this?
1: I think in 2023, we will have six flagship events. So that was AW Africa in Johannesburg, AW Asia in Tokyo, AW Europe in London, AW APAC in Sydney, and then we have AW New York which is um unsurprisingly in new york and aw latam which is in mexico city and there are flagship events and they range in scale from around i would say 250 speakers would be around our smallest to um new york has over 1500 speakers 500 sessions. So those are really pretty large scale events. And alongside that, we will do year round content. So whether it's podcasts, reports, smaller scale events, focusing on niche areas, we did one this year on streaming, um, and we'll have another one on the future slightly later this year. So we have a big catalogue of things we do throughout the year. And I guess the thing that ties them all together, Ren, is that everything tries to bring together where business and culture meet, because the idea is fundamentally, we want people to get better at their jobs by attending our shows, reading our reports, listening to our podcasts. We want them to take away something really practical, but people do that much better when they're entertained. If you go to an event, you listen to a podcast, something that engages you You just learn so much better. So that's something that's really important for every type of advertising week product, no matter what it is.
0: And you basically have a global footprint and some of them are in underserved communities. How is AW being conscious about the fact that you are in Africa and LATAM and there is such an equity issue between
1: all of those different origins across the globe? Well, I think there's two things in this space. So I'd say there's both your attitude and then there's your actions. And I think in terms of attitude, attitude is about always being curious, examining yourself and keeping in mind that you are operating in different regions. And I think part of that is listening to feedback from your local teams. We're really lucky to work with local teams in areas like Japan or LATAM who give us feedback on how our communication is coming across, ways we could improve. And I think quite often, it can be quite hard to hear feedback, particularly if people tell you, hey, you could do this better, or this isn't going to get results. So I think you have to constantly keep your attitude that that's interesting. Let me think about that, learn from it and Work on it. And then I guess it's about actions. So we try really hard to create products that help people access Advertising Week, no matter who they are, in multiple different regions. And I'm happy to go into kind of more detail about some of those specific things we do if a
0: listener is interested in partnering with someone in the LATAM community or in Asia or in Johannesburg, what is something that they should be mindful of? Like, what are some resources that they can go to in order to start that partnership that is on the ground, local, and in a way more
1: authentic because of that reason? Honestly, I'd say probably the first thing to do is come and talk to us and we will help connect you with our teams on the ground there. I think there are actually far many more commonalities between all our different regions, but some might be more progressive than others. For example, the US can be much more progressive on ideas around gender, for example, than some other areas. Or what people understand has a different meaning. So what we see as, say, female representation may mean something different to communities in LATAM, or different communities in Africa than it does in the U.S. or Europe. So I think you just constantly have to re-examine those things and talk to people based there. I love the fact that you're inviting your listeners to come
0: and talk to you and get some ideas, because, as you know, there was a global DNI census that showed that recognition of industry efforts, but there's really no improvement on inclusion. I believe the statistic is that one in seven people would consider leaving the advertising industry due to a lack of diversity and inclusion despite the fact that we've been talking about D&I for quite some time now people are still feeling like they don't really belong. Why do you think this
1: is? I think it goes back to that attitude and action. I think lots of companies in this sector have gained new attitude, realized it's a problem and then doing something about it is where they tend to fall down. Because that can be a lot more difficult to achieve. I think by its nature, one of the things that survey, which is from the World Federation of Advertisers, highlighted was certain groups tend to fall out of the workplace much quicker than others. So often women, often um, people of color, they fall out of the workforce quicker because they have more challenges to being there. And then they are the first to kind of meet challenges in doing their job. Some of it is really logical when you look at how this industry works. Things like pitching, for example, late night, often during holidays, very last minute. That can really exclude people who have families, people who are single parents, it stands to reason why it's just not very well suited for people to live a kind of more balanced life. And that affects some communities more than others. So I think it has to actually be a whole industry effort of all of us coming together and saying, how do we change the way we work to better accommodate people?
0: That's such a great point. I assume women is because of parenthood duties, mostly fallen on women, that they're at a disadvantage as far as advancing their careers or taking themselves out of the corporate space in totality.
1: Yes, and I think it's also partly that we see in the data that even when women are working equivalent amounts to men, more of those domestic duties tend to fall on women. I think they call it the domestic burden. And it definitely feels like a burden when you haven't cleaned your house, I think, for a while. Um, That tends to fall more on women So during the pandemic, I think there was an interesting situation where we had an opportunity for men and women to be more equalized when nobody could go to the office. There was an opportunity for men and women to be on a more equal footing. But then again, the data showed that women were more commonly doing the homeschooling, which kind of squeezed the time they needed for their work. So I think there's also a lot of structural things around society that also need to change alongside it.
0: As a woman executive and a mother, are there things you are doing differently for your team so that you are more welcoming to mothers or parents who are actually single-family households?
1: I think this is something that isn't just me as a mother speaking. I think Lance and Matt, who are the two co-founders of Advertising Week, are two of the most family-focused people I've ever met. Matt has two children. Lance has three. And the philosophy has always been that you're going to be better and happier working, especially when you are working really hard, long hours in multiple time zones. You have to feel like this is a workplace where we acknowledge that you have a family and that you are a full person. So I actually think that's something that's quite embedded into the business and the way we operate. And certainly I have never felt at Advertising Week and I hope I've never treated anybody like, oh, you need to take time with your child to do this. That's a hassle to me. Hopefully I've only ever kind of supported and enjoyed people living What would your
0: advice be for people who may not have the executive support that you have with the founders being on board with being a family-oriented company?
1: I think there's lots of great ways you can challenge it. I think one of the things we saw actually at our Future is Female awards we run at Advertising Week in Europe one um, and again in APAC a few of the women had actually put together a committee themselves and gone to their people and culture teams, gone to their executive teams and said, "Hey, we have some ideas how you could make this a place that's much more accommodating." And they did that from themselves within the teams. And they they actually discovered that when they went and spoke about it and stepped forward, people welcomed that and were happy to hear new ideas and it improved their workplaces. So I think also sometimes it's about talking to people and and actually putting your ideas forward. So advertising
0: was heavily involved in DNI, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts.
1: Can you tell us a little bit
0: more about what you all do? And why it's important to you as a brand, as well as all of you who are behind
1: it? So I think diversity, equity, and inclusion is obviously a really important business function that lots of companies have. I think for us, it's more about our way of doing business and the brand we want to be as Advertising Week. Something we've always had since the start is um, our strapline has been great minds think unalike which I think um, really reflects the type of business we want to be, where everybody's in the room, different opinions, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different ways of thinking. We want everybody there. And in fact, one of the very interesting things is just looking at our data from um, content um, across Advertising Week, we see that panels, for example, where you do have that big spread of diverse voices actually perform better in terms of attendance and satisfaction than any other kind. So I think it's not only what we care about, but it's actually what everybody really cares about. So this means lots of things, whether it's accessible pricing, basing ourselves in the cities where we live and work, but we also have very specific initiatives at Advertising Week, which we hope opens up our industry to new communities who otherwise might not be involved in this industry. So one is um, women. We run something called the Future is Female Awards. That is an award that is free to enter for women at any stage of their career who are demonstrating leadership. And we run that now around the world. And I think something that's really interesting to me is whether it's New York, whether it's Tokyo, women feel that sense of needing the recognition for the leadership they're showing. So it's something I'd really love if you're out there listening in any of our global regions and you know a woman who deserves recognition, who shows leadership no matter what her job is, it's completely free to enter. Please do it. And one of the things we do, Ren, that I think is really important is we've all heard of the Old Boys Network, you know, guys who've known each other their whole careers, help each other get jobs. This is, in a sense, our attempt to make the kind of a network, a community of women who connect with each other around the world, who speak on our stages, talk on our podcasts, and who are a supportive community who can help support each other through their entire careers in the industry. And that's something that I think is really important to us. Another initiative we have at Advertising Week that we're launching this autumn, we'll be doing our first in-person YardCon. And YardCon is a collaboration with a media brand for students at HBCUs, which is all about how Black young professionals can kind of get ahead in life. And one of the things we discovered when we met these guys during the pandemic was that Black students had had their internships cancelled at a higher rate than anyone else. So one of the things we really wanted to do was help get black students hired by companies in the marketing and advertising industry who coincidentally also lack black employees. So it seemed like a perfect kind of way of matchmaking people. We did that virtually. People got live hired at that event during the pandemic and now we've brought it back for the first time and it's gonna take place in Atlanta in November and that's gonna be in person. And the idea is, We will have students, black young creators inputting into the programming and hopefully getting a whole list of internships, job roles and opportunities from some of the best companies in America. Because we want to help create the industry that we want to see.
0: Thank you so much. And if people want to get involved in this or
1: want to partner with Advertising Week on this, should they reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. You can reach out to me. We have a general contact address at Advertising Week on our website. You can get in touch and anyone on the team will be thrilled to help you with these projects.
0: So Ruth, you do a lot for advocacy as well as at Advertising Week with your family. How about for you? What does self prioritization look like, self-care, or, or how do you maintain a work-life balance in a demanding position like yours?
1: I have no work-life balance at all. I don't think I understand what it means, and I don't think I'm ever (laughs) gonna get there in my lifetime. I can't even pretend. The people who say you can have it all, I think (laughs) you're lying to us. There is no way a human being can sustain a successful career, great relationships with their children, great relationships with partners, you know, great friendships. It's just not possible. However, I do think you can choose for yourself the things that are really important to you in life and prioritize those, which I think is different from work-life balance. So one thing that I found really successful is having career coaching, being mentored, and actually having like counseling in your life so you understand who you are and what really matters to you. And I think things that help me get through the days, I really love, um, I love exercise, exercise. I love being able to clear my head by doing something physical when otherwise I'm really busy. I think it's really key to me to work somewhere where I can laugh a lot with my colleagues and every day has laughter so that when you're having those moments of working hard, you can still feel that sense of enjoyment. And I think it's less for me about work-life balance and more like, do I have the right job that fits me as a person? Thank you so much for sharing that. And as our
0: wrap-up question, is there a memorable piece of advice in your career that you still turn to do today that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: I'm going to be really greedy, Ren, and give you three pieces of advice that may or may not be good, but our listeners can give us feedback. So the first one is, I had a really great experience when um, when I came back from having my first child. I, w- I felt very, very anxious about it as a woman in the workplace. And one of the things that happened was a male boss of mine actually at the time said, God, I think you've come back to work. You really have so much perspective on what we're doing, but you know the job really well. This is such a unique position. This is so valuable. And this is not how I would have described it at all. I would have said, you know, I'm feeling insecure and worried and anxious. And do I have, you know, do I have sick in my hair? That's where I really am. But I took what he said and I thought about it. And then someone asked me how it was going. And I effectively repeated what he said. And they were like, God, I was going to say that about you too. It's so valuable having you back. And the more people I said this to, the more people agreed with me. And then I got promoted. And I realized that actually people rarely ever see what you see in yourself. So when people tell you, I guess, what is hopefully a truth about yourself, market yourself, tell people the story you want them to hear, because there's enough moments you feel bad about yourself in life. And I think when I had a second child, I did the same thing. I came back and said, actually, I think this has just made me better at my job. And everyone went, oh, we agree. And I was like, wow, amazing. So I would say this is a great technique that I would always use. Um, I'm, I'm not planning to have any more children, Ren, but if I did, if I got if I got a cat or dog, this would definitely be what I went for. <laughs> My second piece of advice is it's okay to feel uncomfortable. So I think one of the things I've learned working in a global business is you often get feedback about stuff you haven't handled well, or you've done badly, or you did inappropriately for that culture or region. Or, you know, I think, I think that can be very difficult sometimes to hear. You can feel very defensive. But if you go to yourself, that's okay. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to get it wrong. So how can I try and improve from here? I found learning to be okay with being uncomfortable is something that I'm trying to get much better at. And I find that's a really helpful piece of advice. It makes you not so defensive. It makes you not react so quickly and harshly to things. And I found that really useful for maintaining really good work relationships. And the last one I'd say is that um, in a previous role, I didn't really know what I was, I didn't really understand why this job didn't feel like it was working for me. And um, my boss at the time really valued me. And she said, I'm going to send you to a career coach. This career coach was great. And his feedback to me was, he was like, hey, he was like, I don't know if you know this, but you're just not suited to this job. And I was like, no, this is terrible. And he was like, no, not at all. You don't have to leave your job. He was like, but just understand, you're spending 90% of your time in this job trying to change the job, but that is what the job is. And he was like, and you're just not suited to it. It isn't the things you like. And the sense of relief that it gave me to understand that I didn't have to spend my entire life trying to mold this into the right job. I actually stayed working in that job for another kind of couple of years and when I came up against challenges I think that's okay I'm just not really well suited to this particular thing but that's all right this is what it is and I think it completely changed my perspective to stop fighting against what the job actually was so that would be um, my advice is if you don't know what you're doing get some career coaching it's so helpful
0: I love that thank you so much and thank you so much for your time Ruth pleasure Thank you for listening. For more podcasts like this one, be sure to check out Advertising Week's growing network of audio podcasts for the advertising, marketing and technology industries at www.advertisingweek.com slash podcasts.